Father in heaven, Lord, we're, we're thankful that we can come to you at any time and about anything. And Lord, we are grateful. I believe I speak on behalf of most everyone in this room right now. We're so thankful for this conference and for the reason that we're having it, for the work that you've done for these 32 years at this church uh, through these folks. I pray, Lord, you would continue to bless them and use them in a mighty way. Father, as we turn our attention towards your word and ask uh, for your help, um, knowing that you uh, have this message on purpose, um, I ask that you would use it to help the ones that need to hear it. I do pray for the lost, that they would be saved, that they would see Christ as he is and not be uh, confused by themselves or any of the distractions in the world. I pray for the saved, that they would be, as Brother William prayed earlier, revived. And I pray by the time we're done tomorrow night, that we would be grateful for the work you did uh, through this meeting. Father, I ask that you would uh, free us from distraction, keep us uh, disciplined in our minds, focused on the message. I pray that you would help me as I preach and help those that hear it as they listen. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand with me and take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 13. This will not be our text, but it's going to introduce our text. Matthew, chapter 13. Jesus Speaking a parable, says, Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, It's not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them. Gather the wheat into my barn. Jesus would continue speaking in parables. He would give a lesson on the mustard seed and on leaven. But in verse 36, the disciples had a question about this parable of the tares. They said, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came unto him, saying, Declare unto us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. Please understand, we are not all God's children on earth. That is a religious lie. God's children are those who have been redeemed by the blood, who have been adopted by the Father, who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Apart from Christ, you are children of the wicked one. 
He says in verse 39, the enemy that sowed them as the devil, the harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. It doesn't take a theologian to figure out that we are in the end times. Everything being set right now is not for the return of Christ. It's for things that happen after the return of Christ. How exciting is that? We're we're that much closer to the return of our Lord. Your Bible ends with this prayer, even so come, Lord Jesus. That's our hope. God is good to give us these warnings. He says in verse 41, The Son of Man shall send forth His angels, and they shall gather out of His kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity. This This is their life's work, iniquity. This is, this is how they live. Iniquity. Iniquity is, if, you could, if we could use this phrase, and not that any sin is good, but it's, it's the sinful sin. To him that knoweth too good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. You know, there, I, there are things that people do, and, you know, but this is a willful sinning. They know better. They do iniquity. They're going to stand before God having done iniquity. Verse 42, they shall cast them into the furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Tares don't gnash their teeth. People do. Jesus is making application about tares eat. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. And may God give us all ears to hear tonight. Thank you. You may be seated. There are many today who describe themselves as people of faith. I'm a man of faith. I'm a woman of faith. Middle of last year in 2019, 71% of Americans said that they were religious. This included Hindu, Muslim, Jehovah's Witness, Jewish, Buddhists, and Christians. Of course, under Christians, Catholic and Protestant were the two categories. I want you to think about that. 71% of people say that they are a people of faith. In reality, everyone is a person of faith. I'm reminded of an illustration I saw. I was watching a debate between an atheist and a uh, believer on the subject of morality, evolution. And the atheist very uh, arrogantly said that he doesn't need faith. He has science. He trusts science. There are facts. So you don't have to have faith with science. He has confidence. That's what he has I have confidence. And the believer got up after that and said, our friend here says he doesn't need to have faith. He has confidence. I want to remind him of the etymology of the word confidence. It comes from two Latin words, confide, with faith. Everyone has faith. Those that believe, well, I don't believe God exists. Or I I don't believe in that religion. I don't believe that everybody believes in something. Everybody. But quote-unquote, having faith is very generic. What makes faith genuine is the object of the faith. And we know that is Jesus Christ. That's what makes true faith a genuine faith, a saving faith. But we could even narrow down the crowd to those that profess not Buddha or not Allah or not any other religion, let's just narrow the field down to those that profess Christ. Those that say, I'm a believer. I'm a Christian. 
The reality is that not even all in that crowd have genuine faith either. either. You're in Matthew chapter 7 to turn a few pages back. Verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But, contrast, he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. We just looked at that word a few minutes ago. There are those that do iniquity, and then there are those that do the will of the Father in heaven. There is no third option. You you are either following the Lord, doing the will of the Father, or you are doing iniquity. And Jesus said that they're going to say to Him, Lord, you've got this wrong. I live my life. We preached. We prophesied. He said in verse 22, Lord, have we not prophesied in Thy name? In Thy name cast out devils. And then I named on many wonderful works. People were amazed. People were impressed. People congratulated me. They complimented me on my works. You've got this wrong. Jesus will say unto them in verse 23, Quote, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work. And there it is again. Iniquity. Beloved, there is no third option. Tonight we are going to look at a text where there is a man who could be considered a tear. A man who would be among those that say, Lord, Lord, but in reality did not know the Lord. His name is Simon and his story is found in Acts chapter 8. So if you take your Bible and we'll take our text from this chapter this evening... Acts chapter 8. Perhaps you've heard of him by the name Simon Magus. It's a Latin word meaning magnificent. I don't, need, I don't mean to be funny or, or, or humorous, but you can almost picture this man. He fits the type of character that would have the top hat and the cape and come out as Simon the Magnificent. As Simon the, the, the Amazing One. And the reality, he, he really was. To set the background here, you have to understand the devil has done many things to attack that church there in Jerusalem and discourage the people there there in Jerusalem. He's sent persecution, false imprisonment, beatings, scourging. That didn't work. He tried to get people from within the congregation, Ananias and Sapphira, to come in and through their greed, dishonesty, try to disrupt there. But the Lord protected the church there, dealt with that there, comes back to attacks from without. And as one man said, when they finally just outright murdered Stephen, just killed him, stoned him, without cause, murdered him. As one man said, when the devil realized that not even murder would work, he tried mimicry. He tried imitation. And that's what we find here in Acts chapter 8, is an imitator. In verse 1, the Bible says that Saul was consenting unto Stephen's death, and there had risen a great persecution against the church, was at Jerusalem. They were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. They were lamenting, they were sorrowful over his death. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men, that's an old word for hauling, hauling men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere hiding. Is that what it says? No. Think of the background and the context of what they're doing here. They went everywhere preaching the word. Preaching the word. The Word. This is, what, this is the result of being scattered. They're not ashamed of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Because they realize while these other religions and governments are stretching forth their hand, we believe that the Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And they preach the Word. I know that this church does, but don't ever stop preaching the Word. 
Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. And you know what Samaritans were. They're half-breeds, according to the Jews. And so Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, and he doesn't preach Judaism, he doesn't preach religion, he preaches Christ unto them. He preaches the Anointed One. He preaches the One of Promise. He preaches Jesus of Nazareth. He preaches Christ. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Remember, in the book of Acts with the apostles, this is a transitional time. We don't need miracles anymore. We don't need signs and wonders anymore. We have chapter and verse. And if you ever have a question about how powerful that book in your lap is, remember this, that when God sent His men out preaching the kingdom of heaven, preaching the Word, preaching Christ, He allowed them to have signs to authenticate their message. I want you to know that these men are for me. So I'm going to give them a power and ability to do things that they should not be able to do. And it's going to authenticate that these men really truly are from good or are from God. But when that which is perfect, when that which is complete is come, then these things will be put away. They'll be done away. We won't need them anymore. And you ought to thank the Lord that He has given us a completed book, a completed revelation. That that Bible is so powerful that a man doesn't need to heal the blind or heal the handicapped to authenticate his message. All he needs is a book in Scripture, a chapter and a verse, and that authenticates his message. That's how powerful the Bible is. And these people come out and they hear Philip preaching. They hear the message. He's authenticated as he's from God. There's a contrast because there was another man who had done wonders. There was another man who was amazing, but he'd never done anything like this. The Bible says in verse 7, unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out with many that were possessed with them and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. These, this is a picture of lost people. You say, well, how is a demon-possessed person a picture of a lost person? I can assure you, friend, Someone came to me before I met Christ, before Christ saved me. And they asked me to describe my sin. Here's what I could say. My sin, if it had a name, would be legion, for there are many. And if you are not saved, that's exactly what describes your soul and your spirit. If we could look into your heart, it'd be called legion to describe your sin, because there are many. There are many sins. You need a great Savior. You need Jesus. And so this is the same thing happening. And we're talking major, major victories are being had because of the preaching and because of God's power on this city. The Bible says in verse 8, no no wonder there was great joy in that city. It wasn't joy before, there's joy now. Psalm 144, I love this verse. Verse 15, happy is that people whose God is the Lord. Amen? You find people who have God as their Lord, they're a happy people. Praise the Lord for that. So Philip preaches Christ, not Judaism. The power of God is evidenced through Philip's ministry and through Philip's life. The persecution, the corruption, all these things haven't stopped God from doing His work through His people. And then verse 9 starts with a very powerful three-letter word. But... This means that there's a lot going, good going on. Now there's a contrast. But there was a certain man called Simon, which before time in the same city used sorcery 
and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one. Bewitched means he tricked them. You understand that? It wasn't genuine. It wasn't real. There was no trickery with Philip. That was genuine. That was transparent. Not with Simon. And he gave out that he was some great one. And he was so good. Look at what verse 10 says. To whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. This man is the great power of God. No no telling them they're wrong. Simon didn't slow it down. Simon loved it. He loved the attention. He loved that they thought that about himself. Simon no doubt enjoyed the reputation he had established for himself. People spoke about him with such awe, so impressed with his mysterious power. But as one preacher said several years ago, if you can't see the sun, you'll be impressed with a street light. If you've never felt thunder and lightning, you'll be impressed with fireworks. And if you turn your back on the greatness and majesty of God, you'll fall in love with a world of shadows and short-lived pleasures. And that is the truth. We ask ourselves, how is it that people can be so uh, uh, amazed and so uh, uh, entrapped and, and so in awe of relationships here on earth? How is it they can be so loyal to, to people on earth, to things on earth? They don't have Christ. Here you have people who Jesus has given to them, shown to them how much He loves them and cares for them, has provided for them. And they'll acknowledge Him. Oh, I, I believe He's there. He's, I, need, I need to be saved. I need to do that. I need to take care of that. You know, yeah, Jesus is real. That's good. But then look at how they live. Look at, look at who they give their devotion to. Look at what they give their devotion to. They know what loyalty is. They know what devotion is. They know what love is. They, matter of fact, they, they love others and they hate it when others don't love them. This is the same crowd. They're impressed with streetlights. No wonder Simon was able to pull one over on them. And it's no wonder that when Philip showed up, the streetlight was no longer that big of a deal. The fireworks weren't that impressive anymore. Because Philip came with thunder and lightning. Philip came with the truth. Philip came with Jesus. And there is no comparison, beloved, when a person's introduced to Jesus. There shouldn't be, at least. And so, masses of people, praise God, turned to Christ. They turned to Christ. The Bible says in verse 12, But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God... And the name of Jesus Christ, the authority of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Now notice, they believed first, then they were baptized. They weren't baptized so that they would be saved. They believed first, then they were baptized. Verse 13, Then Simon himself believed also. And when he was baptized, please notice, He continued with Philip. But it doesn't stop there. This is already going on. We know that they were baptized, they were saved, and they continued steadfastly, not only in fellowship and in prayers, but in the apostles' doctrine. They knew that teaching mattered. They knew that they needed to follow the truth. But Philip comes into the crowd. Philip joins along. If you can't beat him, join him. 
He's intrigued. But notice, this is very key, beloved. If you get nothing else tonight, get this. Philip continued not because he needed to be saved from his sin. No. He was more enamored with what they were doing and he wanted part of it. That's why it continues and it says he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. May I tell you there are people like that today? They don't come to Christ because they need to be saved, because they feel guilty about their sin. They don't come to Christ because they need their life transformed. They come to Christ because they see how others live and they say, that seems like a good life and I'd like to do that. And if it means wearing a skirt, I'll wear a skirt. If it means wearing a tie, I'll wear a tie. If it means carrying a King James, I'll carry a King James. But my friend, that's not salvation. That's not regeneration. That's simply reformation. That's simply changing the way you live to fit into a crowd. But I want to tell you that the power of the Gospel has nothing to do with enabling you to fit in with a crowd. The power of the Gospel changes your heart from a heart of stone, blackened by sin, to a heart of flesh, made new by the power of the Holy Spirit. He enables you to live a life not with other people, but to live a life for the glory of God. Of course, when people are saved... They are attracted to people that live for the glory of God. That's why we have churches, amen? God designed the assembly. Praise God for it. But the sad part is that the truth of Matthew 13 is evidenced in Acts chapter 8, and it's evidenced in 2020 as well. And perhaps there are people here tonight that need to hear the message. You have adapted to a way of life, but you've never repented and turned to Christ. You've never believed in Jesus, for the reason Jesus came. You believe He exists. But Jesus didn't come to give us creeds and confessions. Jesus didn't come so we could memorize principles. Jesus came to save the lost from their sin. That's why we need to be saved. Simon thrived on the attention. He cultivated admiration for himself. He loved it when people said how good he was. And then he sees oh, suddenly people turn their loyalty. He can't have that, so he just goes with them. But the Bible says here in verse 13, Simon believed also he continued with Philip and wondered, beholding the miracles and signs which were done. He was amazed with what they were doing. Please, I'm, I beg of you tonight, don't let your salvation be based on I, I really, I really uh, saw so-and-so and I wanted what they had, so that's why I did. Now listen, now p- please don't misunderstand me. Christians are supposed to be salt and light. We should be good testimonies, amen? But your salvation and my salvation is not about learning to be like other people. Our salvation is realizing Jesus came to save me from my sin personally. And it's not that I want to be like them, it's I want to be like Him. We have been predestinated to be conformed to the image of each other. No, to the image of Christ, to the image of the Son of God. That's why we're saved. So that we can be freed from sin to live a life pleasing to God. And the only way we can live a life pleasing to God is to live like our Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation is personal. What I'm saying tonight is very simple, but it's hard to understand. Your salvation has to do with your sin. Your sin. That's the key. 
And if there's never been a time when you've done business with God over your sin, then my friend, I would examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. I would make your calling and your election sure. Because salvation, Jesus came to save the lost. Not those who are just trying to live a better life or find new friends. It's the lost. Verse 12, Philip was not just outperforming Simon. Please understand that. Oh, he, he, Philip put on a better show than Simon did. No, Philip preached. That's what it said. Well, what did, what did Philip preach? The Bible says he preached things concerning the kingdom of God. And Philip knew what that was, amen? Jesus had already covered this. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Philip preached the gospel. And when they were relieved, they were baptized. In short, beloved, this, these people in Samaria, they found out real quick that the great power of God was not in a man. It was in the message of the gospel of Christ. Understand that. Before they thought, oh, Simon is the great power of God. But then it became very clear. Oh no, the great power of God is not in a person. The great power of God is in Christ. He, I mean, he is a person, but it's in the, he's in the power of Jesus Christ. Not anybody down here. I, I get so sad when I hear lost people try to ex, uh, use Christians as an excuse as why they're not saved. Well, you know, they, 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 this Christian's a hypocrite, and that Christian's a hypocrite, and that breaks my heart. Christians shouldn't be hypocrites. It, I, it saddens me, but it's not an excuse. Because when you stand before God, God's not going to say, well, what did you do with Christians? He's going to say, what did you do with Christ? What did you do with my son? What did you do with Jesus? And Philip preached the kingdom of God. Philip preached being born again. And as I said, the great power of God, they found out, was not in a man, but it was in the gospel. That is the power of God unto salvation. And so Simon believes. Verse 14 says this, though. Now when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word, they sent unto them Peter and John who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. We're not going to have time to get into this tonight, but there are still religions that, are, that act like this. Charismatics, Pentecostals, things like that. Beloved, it's a lie. Anybody that tells you, well, you need to pray for the Holy Ghost. You need to pray for more of the Holy Ghost. You need to pray. No. When a person's saved, read Ephesians 1, read Ephesians 4. You're filled with the Spirit when you're saved, and you're sealed until the day of redemption by the same Spirit of God. So this, this whole mentality, it's all, it's all religious. And the reason that it's still there is because false religion is real. Does that make sense? How, if it's false, how is it real? No, false religion as a thing is still real. And when you can't, you don't have the power of God, you have to muster it up. You have to make excuses of why we don't have, Well, we just need to pray for more of the Holy Ghost. No, you don't. Not, not, real, not, not true believers. So don't ever uh, fall into that trap or if you have someone who's... Uh, you know, entrapped by that, you could take him to this text. But, moving on. Verse 16. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them, only were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Ghost. Real quick, this is not Bible Institute class, but, but they laid their hands on them. You study out what laying hands on means. It's, a, it's a identification. In the Old Testament, you laid hands on that sin sacrifice. You were saying... I, my, my sins, my, my sinfulness is being identified with this sacrifice. So that sacrifice is taking my place. You get the idea. It's uh, not only identification, it's authentication. You have them laying hands on Timothy. You have laying hands on Titus, all that. 
Why is that so important, the baptism? Because when a person's baptized, they're identifying with something. That's why it's important. And the Holy Spirit is so good to make sure Luke tells us when these people were filled with the Holy Spirit and who they were filled with the Holy Spirit after they identified with. Now, we don't need that anymore. Amen? We, we have the, the, when a person's saved, Ephesians 1, you have the Holy Spirit. But it's very, it's, it's very important that you understand that all of this work was going to the Lord's church. This was not some random thing happening to people here and people there. He's very clear to make sure who laid hands on, who was called, who came down to authenticate. And it was the very ones who walked with Jesus. It was the church that Jesus started when he was on his earthly ministry. And it was his church here in Acts chapter 8. Amen? I know you know that already. We just had to get through that because it was in the verse. All right? Verse 18. And when Simon saw that through laying on the apostles' hands the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. What? He offered them money, beloved. He looks over and he sees what's happening when they lay their hands on this, these people. And his eyes light up. Why did his eyes light up? Well, notice, this is very important. He did not get excited because the possibility of him receiving the Holy Spirit was possible. His eyes lit up because he thought, maybe if I give them money, this is very important, I could have the authority to give the Holy Spirit. This is it's very important because this is all pride. All of it is pride. The gift of the Holy Ghost was not enough. Control was what he wanted. I want people to need me. I want people to look at me. I, I, and I'm telling you, beloved, there are people like that today. They are addicted to attention. If they don't have people in their life that need them, they'll fall apart. This is Simon. He, he needs people so badly to need him that he's willing to offer money to, to, to Peter. Say, if I give you this, will you please give me that ability so that I can lay hands on people and offer them the Holy Ghost too. This is the, the wickedness and the blindness of sin. How does Peter respond to this? Peter said, well, let me just take the money and I'll talk to you and do a Bible study. No, he didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't want his money. Look at what he says. Peter said unto him, thy money perish with thee. I don't mean to be funny, but this, these are great ver- I'm not, this is not meant to be a joke. I'm being serious. These are great verses to show people who struggle with Catholicism and Peter being a pope. He, he didn't want money. He wasn't trying to, to raise money. He wasn't trying to live in a lavish castle-like structure to show that he was a great man of God. Thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Can we just, for a minute, dwell on how wonderful the gift of the Holy Ghost is? The gift of God's Spirit is so precious and so wonderful. Think with me why we need a Holy Spirit. Because our debt, that's why. When Adam sinned, it's almost as if, if you bear with the illustration, that the light went out in Adam's soul. Now it's death. Decay begins. Destruction. Death. But God in His goodness said this, not only will I save and redeem and forgive men of their sins, but I will reignite the light 
I will quicken them. I will give them life. I will fill them with the Holy Spirit. Praise the Lord for that. Don't don't ever uh, forget how wonderful the Holy Spirit is. He is a God as much as the Father and the Son, and He is a gift. Jesus said, I will send Him to you. He's the Comforter. He's a Teacher. He's a wonderful gift that we have in salvation. Praise the Lord. The gift of God's Spirit is so precious and it's so wonderful. We ought not take that for granted. Simon didn't think he needed it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't need that. I just, I just want the power. I, I want the authority. Now, why did Peter say thy money perish with thee? Here's why. Because Simon was a lost man. That's why. But, but, Simon, was, but Simon believed. And Simon was baptized. Right. And sometimes people say that they're saved, and they're not. Now, I want to encourage our young people. This should not make you afraid of making a false profession. Listen closely, and you'll never, you won't make a false profession. But just because not everyone makes a false profession doesn't mean some people don't. There are people, perhaps in this room tonight, who have already made one. Saved, or believed, I should say, baptized, but lost. How do we know he was lost? We know he was, that he was lost because of what he wanted. You see, the flesh burns out, beloved. Well, wasn't he continuing with Philip? For a time. But you can only do that for so long. And then it gets tiresome. Boy, does it get tiresome. What we're called to do and how we're called to live and how we're supposed to love and how we're supposed to forgive, you can't do that in the flesh. It burns out. It's way, way too easy to get tired trying to live the Christian life. You can wear the uniform, quote-unquote. You can look like it, dress up like it, but what's, what's needed in the heart and soul and spirit, it, you can't do that in the flesh. You can't, you can't replicate that. And you can't buy it with money either, Simon would find out. But we have other evidence that Simon's lost, and it's because Peter said, thy money perish with thee. Now, Peter knew the gospel, Peter was there when, or at least he was around when Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, and no doubt he knew Nicodemus. We know Nicodemus came to Christ by evidence as his, by his uh, walk and how he stood up for Jesus and takes, takes him off the cross and all those things. But Peter remembered what Jesus preached to Nicodemus. This is the, one of the most popular verses in all the Bible, John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How much did he love the world? He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Saved people don't perish. And they don't, they don't perish partially, and they don't perish at all. Amen? There's no such thing as a purgatory. There's no such thing as, as a, a, a burning away the, the, the whatever. Our works will be burned up, and they'll be exposed for what they really are. And I don't know any believer who's looking forward to that. But... We don't burn, amen? We don't perish. So when Peter looked at Simon and said, Thy money perish with thee, and the Holy Spirit allowed him to sit, put it in Luke to record it, it meant this, you're going to perish and your money, and I, want, I don't want to be irreverent, I don't want to be unkind, but I want you to understand the seriousness of what Peter was saying. You and your money can perish. You and your money can go to hell. That's what Peter is saying. Not in, a, not in a disrespectful way. He wasn't cursing, but he was saying, you and your money can go perish together. Well, that doesn't sound very compassionate. That doesn't sound like Peter's going to get a big crowd in his church. 
Beloved, it was one of the most compassionate things Peter could do. What is, it, what is he going to do? Hold his hand, put his arm around him and say, hey, well, listen, you know, I, I think after a time, perhaps. No, he realized this man thinks that the things of God can be uh, uh, manipulated and worked out with material things here on earth. He's lost. And someone needs to tell him. Maybe Philip, like, oh man, I can't believe it. I don't know. But Peter, he, he told it like it was. Amen? Praise God for men that tell it like it is. Don't ever apologize for get, telling someone the truth. It could be the most compassionate. We have a lady in our church right now who um, is currently in a great deal of pain. She has uh, cancer, stage three. She's had a problem for a, a, a while. Didn't want to do anything about it. And I understand. She just, you know, just was concerned. Finally went to the doctor. And you know what that doctor told her? The doctor wasn't kind to her. He wasn't, he didn't say, well, you know what, it's, it's no big deal. You know, we could just talk about it. Here, here, here's, here's some booklets you can read on how, he didn't do that. He told her the hard truth. You have cancer. It's stage three. And unless you do this, there's nothing we can do. Was that man being unkind? No. He was being real. And so was Peter. He was being real. You don't understand where you're at right now. If you don't change, you're going to perish. That's exactly why he continues saying what he, do, what he does. You thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Not to be funny, you don't purchase gifts. Right? If it's a gift of God, you don't have to buy it from God. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. And that last phrase of that verse is where this entire story hinges. You can impress a crowd. You can get people to follow you through your, through your personality and through your, through your tricks and all that. But if those people knew what you were like inside your heart, how, how far would they follow you? Uh, you, you may have everyone else, you may have Philip fooled, you may have the, the, the church fooled, but I, I know better, and I know that your heart is not right, not in their sight, in the sight of God. And that's all that matters, beloved, is what does God think about your heart? Not what I think, not what, what people around us think. What does God think about us? What does God see in our heart? And Peter was very clear, you have nothing to do with this. That is a, I mean, that is a hard statement. You have someone coming in, hey, I want to be part of this, uh, let me give some money. And Peter says, you have no business being here. You have no part, you have no lot in this matter. What we're doing, this has nothing to do with you. This it doesn't concern you. It, 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 it amazes me, beloved, that we have churches in America that are Baptist or independent Baptist churches. And just because people can sing, they're on a platform singing in a worship service, and they're not even saved. Why? Well, we're trying to we're trying to bring them along. You don't do that. This is worship. This is for God. This is for Him. And you have lost because well, they can carry a note. What does that matter? God sees it. It's not. They have they have no part of this. They have no no business doing that. So praise God for a church that knows how to draw a line and where to draw the line. You have no part and no lot in this matter. This doesn't concern you. This doesn't belong to you. Well, I just want to help out. You, and I, I don't mean to be unkind at all. But please, 
I, I love this church. I, I've, said, I've preached this at my church, so don't think, don't think that this is just here. I, people want to help out, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not trying to say this in any unkind way. Anybody can sweep the floors and clean the bathrooms. Not just anybody can get on the platform and sing to the Lord. Not just anybody can, can get up. And I'm not saying if you're up here that makes you better than other people. But mowing the grass is one thing. Worshiping and preaching and singing and, and, and giving God worship and praise, that's a whole other thing. And we want you to be part of that. We want you included in that. Of course we want you to be involved in that. But if you're lost, you are lost. And you have no part in this matter. You have no part or a lot in the things of God. At least not yet. Because the goal is to see you saved so that you can be part and lot in this matter. But in America, we've had too many churches, we have too many pastors that decide to, well, cooperation is best, but you know, we'll just we'll let them do this or let them do that. We can love them to Christ. We'll love them, we'll love them to God. God knows how to love sinners to Himself. And He said it's through the cross. And no one goes to the cross unless they know they're a sinner. No one runs to, the, runs to Calvary unless they feel a burden on themselves that says, I have, I have a sin load on my shoulders, on my heart, I can't get rid of, and I need a Savior. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him, by, by Jesus. And so this gift of God can't be purchased, you can't buy it. He said, you have, no, you have no part in this. This is spiritual. This has nothing to do with you. And then he says this. Verse 22. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. His big smile and his fat wallet did not fool Peter. Peter could see past the smile. He could see past the fancy chariot. And he said, you're a bitter man and you're in the bond of iniquity. You are bitter and you are bound. You are entrapped. You are enslaved. And so here's the answer. Now I love, and Peter, praise God for men like Peter because here's what he said, but you have hope. Amen? It'd be one thing to say, well, this is how you are and you're always going to be like that. No, he didn't leave Simon there say, you're such a bad man, you're bitter and you're broken and you're, you're bound. No, he said, but you don't have to stay that way. You can repent right now. You can turn to God and you pray to God and say, God, forgive me of my heart. Forgive me of my sin. And one of the most tragic things we see in this story is the response that Simon has. Peter preached repentance to this poor, lost, Satan-blinded, money-loving, power-hungry sinner. Everyone else thought he was a believer. Peter knew better. I perceive. And there's that word iniquity again. Sin at its worst. Premeditated. Continuing in sin. And not only continuing in sin, but escalating in sin. And here's what Simon says. And then answered Simon and said, Pray ye to the Lord for me, that none of these things which ye have spoken come upon me. You have a fraud with false faith and then you have fear. I wish that that verse was genuine faith, but it's not. 
And what breaks my heart is I know people like this. I know people like this. You tell them about their condition before God, you know what they say? Pray for me. You pray for me. Peter didn't say, I'll pray for you. Peter said, you pray to God. You repent. You turn to God. And you know what Simon said? I don't like that. I don't want these things to come upon me. I don't like the consequences of my actions. I don't like dealing with the result of my sin. Please pray to God that that doesn't happen to me. It doesn't work that way. I wish it worked that way. If I could pray for others to be saved, and if anybody could pray for others to be saved, you better believe we would. But it doesn't work that way. Of course we're going to pray for you. Of course we love you. Of course we're going to pray for your salvation. But that's not enough. But I know people that, that depend on everything. They give all of their hope. into Well, at least the church is praying for me. At, le- at least pastor's praying for me. Well, at least he's praying for me. At least she's praying for me. That's not enough. You have to pray. You have to repent. You have to believe. Of course Christ will save you. He's the Savior. Of course God will forgive you. He said He would. But you have to do something about that. This is also seen not only in the tragic state of lost people. I know know people who profess Christ that live this way too. They live on the coattails of other people. They don't have a prayer life. They don't know what it's like to, to pray to God and have their prayers answered. But they know how to ask other people to pray. They, they, they know when the, when, the, when the going gets tough and they realize when they're at home at night and they lay their head on their pillow, it seems that God doesn't hear a word they're saying. So they make sure that someone else is praying for them. You don't have to live like that, friend. You don't have to live like that. I know, I know what that's like. I was there. Praise God, you don't have to live like that. You can go to bed tonight, lay your head on your pillow with complete peace in your heart because you know what God did for you. I remember, just this was two weeks ago, we were at that girl's house, the, the nurse, right? Is that about two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, this happened. She just got saved, praise the Lord. She's 27, 28 years old. Praise the Lord, I'm, I'm so thankful for it. She sat on the couch. My wife and I were speaking to her. She's a nurse. And she said something troubled her so much. A pastor was in the hospital. A pastor in Grand Forks, North Dakota. A pastor of a church right in North Dakota, right in Grand Forks. He got terrible news from the doctor. They said, there's nothing we can do for you. We'll try to make you as comfortable as we can. You have three or four days. And you know what terrified this nurse? Was how terrified he was. He was afraid to die. He didn't want, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with, well, I don't want to leave behind my wife. I understand all that. But no, he didn't know where he was going. A pastor of a church was afraid to die. I imagine there's no record of us seeing Simon becoming a Christian. And I think if he did, the Holy Spirit would have showed us so there's no confusion. God's not the author of confusion. He's the author of clarity. 
And we're left with Simon begging Peter to pray that these things don't happen to me instead of doing it himself. But I imagine if Simon were to have come to his deathbed, he'd be, he'd be afraid to. Because when you don't have the gift of God, you don't have the Holy Spirit, you don't have love or joy, but you don't have peace. You don't have peace. But that's, that's what this, this world needs it on a physical sense, but the world doesn't have emotional peace either. There are people in so much turmoil, emotionally, mentally. It doesn't have to be that way. Perhaps there's someone here tonight who's like Simon. Believed and he was baptized, but he was lost. If there was a title to this message, it would be Going to Hell with Faith. Going to Hell with Faith. Oh, I believed and I was baptized, but no evidence at all of God's work in his life. He was the same old Simon. Same old Simon, revealing himself over time of what his heart was really like. It doesn't have to be like that. And if, let's, let me just say for, our, for, for this argument's sake, if you are one of those type people and you are to be saved tonight, if you walk forward tonight, I can, I can tell you, well, I can tell you from personal experience about this church. I was right there. I had preached in, up here on this platform as a lost man. And I know what the fear is like. What will people think? Let me tell you what people are going to do. Term experience because I, this was here. If they find out that you were lost but that you got saved, you know what they're going to say? They're going to say, "Praise the Lord." That's what they're going to say. You don't have to be worried what people think. What, what does God think? Again, in the sight of God, in the sight of God, not one person here is going to look down on you. We're going to rejoice with you. Are you kidding? We're going to be happy. We're going to praise the Lord with you. Not just for you, but with you. You'll be able to praise the Lord. For real now. Amen? Genuinely. So if there's any here tonight that was like Simon, I pray that you would see yourself as you are in the sight of God. Not in the sight of those around you, but in the sight of God. And that you would do what Simon did not. You would, and I quote, repent therefore of this thy wickedness and pray God if perhaps thy heart may be forgiven thee. Father in heaven, thank you for this text. Lord, we know that you have designed this Bible intentionally. You give us examples in Scripture, not just for theology classes, but because there are things that pertain to life and godliness, and because there are people in every generation that are like the people we find in Scripture. Father, I pray that something said tonight broke through a heart that has been blinded by self or by sin. I pray for those that are like Simon, addicted to approval, addicted to what people think of them. I pray that You'd give them the freedom that comes from knowing Christ. I pray for someone here today that's made it, they say they're saved, but Father, through the preaching or through the conviction of Your Spirit, they don't believe they are. They've understood that their real condition in Your sight. I pray, Lord... You'd give them the grace they need to, to, to repent, to turn to You and believe on Christ. And Father, for the saved, I pray that You would motivate them to be serious-minded about not only their lives personally, but also the message that they, they, they give when they witness. And Father, I pray that they would pray 
And Lord, I, I ask that you would be pleased now with the response of the invitation. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.